Hi friends, today we are switching gears just a bit to talk about initiating difficult conversations with a colleague. My name is Victoria Bowler and this is episode 64 of Elemental Conversations. This topic comes from an email I got from a colleague about a student who is missing music class as a punishment for poor behavior in the classroom. This says that the classroom teacher feels um, if the student is misbehaving in the classroom, then they can't come to music as punishment. And then this email continues, I feel those who have academic issues actually thrive in music, and I want to make the decision if they can participate or not. How do I approach the classroom teacher about this? Oof. (laughs) Um, So at the risk of being redundant, difficult conversations with a colleague are difficult. So let's talk about some important steps that we might want to take as we gear up for this conversation. We'll also talk about how the answer to this question, how should we approach this conversation, is kind of written out in the question itself. And then we'll look at some extra resources that we can pursue if we want more information. For our conversation here today, let's call this student Parker. And we want to get Parker back into music class. I think we can all agree on that, yes? Not because Parker doesn't act out in music class the way they do in their grade level classroom. They might and they might not. That's not really the point here, though, is it? The point is that music is for everyone. Music is for students who struggle in their grade level classrooms. Music is for students who don't handle the traditional education system well. Music is for students who need extra skills to build classroom relationships. And this is something that as music teachers, I know we all feel strongly about, and we have very good reasons for this position based on what we know about um, child development and about educational psychology and about social psychology, and even about things like educational law, you know, and the access of arts education to all students. I also know that we feel respected when our colleagues recognize that we are in this position to teach music to the students at this school, and we cannot teach students who are not there. We are, as music teachers, we are professional educators on equal footing with every other teacher in the school, and we are all working together for the same mission. All right, that sets us up well, actually, um, for something important that we're going to need as we enter this conversation. Because when we first start thinking about, okay, so how should we how should we approach this interaction? It's very easy to think based on all of the knowledge and all of the experience and all of the very real qualifications we have as education practitioners, that we are going to go and present our argument for our side. And then our colleague will present their argument for their side. And then the most rational argument, AKA ours will win. (laughs) Um, And when we do this, the imagery that I have is me sitting on one side of the table and you on the other side of the table, or, you know, the, the grade level colleague. So me on one side and them on the other side. And do you see the issue here? We're structuring the conversation so that it is me against you. So that when the student ends up in music class next week, it is a victory for me. And if the student isn't in music class next week, I am defeated. It's a loss for me. And I probably feel a little bit disrespected and I probably feel a little bit devalued, right? So if the student is in music class, I win. If the student isn't in music class, I lose. That's how we have structured this argument. 
So let's move from that because there might be a better way to approach this. Let's move from each of us facing the other on different sides of the table. And let's move so both of us are on the same side of the table. And together, let's face the actual problem that we are trying to address together. The problem is there is a student who is having a hard time in class and neither of us want that for this student. Neither of us even want this for the classroom teacher. So the imagery that we're going to use here is both of us, both colleagues on one side of the table, trying to find a solution, trying to build a solution so that this student is supported. So this brings us to one way that we might adjust this question. How do I approach the classroom teacher? Instead, we might ask, what would it look like to link arms with the classroom teacher? Or how do the classroom teacher and I approach this problem together? Do you see the switch there? One of the things that we will need to do in order to, to kind of actualize this frame of mind is to think about where this classroom teacher might be coming from. And I know that kind of might be difficult for us sometimes to let go of our perspective and do what we can to imagine the other person's shoes. But let's do that just together as like a, as a thought exercise. This is the work that we are going to do before the conversation happens at all. And it doesn't need to take a long time. It's just a very quick action we can do to get ourselves on the same side as our colleagues. So what does it actually look like to approach the conversation from the same side of the table? So let's make a quick list of all of the reasons this teacher, or a few reasons, that this teacher might have for keeping the student out of music class. Off the top of my head here, I can imagine a teacher who is really overwhelmed. And the reason I say that is because if things were working well in the classroom, then that student, Parker, would be in music class every day, right? Or at least every week, <laughs> every time they come to music class and everything would be sunshine and rainbows. So clearly something is not working for the teacher here either. I can imagine that this student might have work that they need to make up. They might have some tasks to do as a punishment, like writing sentences um, or, you know, like wiping off desks or something like that. And this teacher, I would assume, doesn't want to take away this student's lunchtime. That's a great idea. <laughs> we probably uh, don't want this student to have to stay after school to do this either. And definitely we're not going to have this kid miss recess for this punishment. So the specials block seems like the least disruptive to everyone. This makes sense. I can disagree with it, and I do, <laughs> but I see where this teacher could be coming from. And this brings us to a different important point in this kind of pre-work before the actual conversation. This idea of, I can imagine where you're coming from, because one of the uncomfortable truths about colleague relationships is that while there are certainly times we feel like our colleague is stepping on our toes, we also need to acknowledge the times that we have intentionally or unintentionally stepped on other people's toes. So for example, I can think of times that I have pulled kids out of their classes for like musical rehearsals or a music trip or a special sharing event or something like that. Um, I've also taken up teachers time by asking them to help me with events. And I've done things that I didn't even know were bothering my colleagues, like making too much noise during class or hogging the copy machine when I need to make a million copies of programs. 
The reason I want to do this type of work before the actual conversation is again, I want to link arms with this teacher and I want us to sit on the same side of the table with the problem on the other side of the table and two actions that I can take to get myself in that frame of uh, frame of mind so that I'm ready for this conversation are number one, to imagine where this teacher is coming from and all the reasons that I might have for doing this action. And then number two, to think about all the times that I have intentionally or unintentionally stepped on my colleagues' toes in a very similar way to how we feel our toes are being stepped on here. Okay, so with that groundwork done, now we're ready to knock, 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 knock on their door and say, hey, do you have a second? This is the part where we actually approach the conversation. But guess what? Before we jump into all of our list of very good reasons, very logical reasons, very sound reasons, very heartfelt reasons that Parker needs to be back in music class, there actually is another step that we need to take. When we walk into this conversation, there's actually a lot that we don't know. We have our hypothesis that we have kind of created for the sake of empathy and trying to understand where the teacher is coming from. But we actually don't know what their perspective is and what they are going through as a human um, who is struggling with this student, right? So now it's time to fill in some gaps in the situation. So we're going to knock on this teacher's door after school, knock, 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 and we're going to listen to what they have to say. This is so important. We want to lead with empathy and understanding and listening again, because it's not me versus the colleague. It's me with this colleague against the problem. So with my teammate, I want to kind of investigate and give a listening ear to how this situation is going in their classroom. So asking about that situation might just be, Hey, how are things going with Parker? Or we've missed Parker in music class. How have things been recently? Or So how is my friend Parker doing? Any improvement? And then as this teacher talks, we are going to not talk. (laughs) We're going to listen to what this teacher has to say. Because remember, when they describe the problem, we are on their same team. And when they've shared their update, whatever that update is, we are going to start not by jumping in, again, not by jumping into all of the reasons we are correct and they are wrong, but we are actually going to repeat back to them what they have said to us. So if they are continuing to have a lot of friction with this student, we're going to say, yikes. So Parker is still making a lot of noise in class and taking things from other kids' desks. Mm. Or, wow, so Parker still is not finishing their work, even though you really feel like they can do it. Something to note here very quickly, when we listen and reflect back to the teacher, what they are saying to us, we're going to describe the specific actions that the student is taking and not a description of the student's character that we might hear. When we are overwhelmed, this is true for for all of us, when we are overwhelmed, we can sometimes make accusations about a student's character. This is very normal. So Uh, Parker is lazy. Parker is manipulative. Parker is disruptive. And even though that's understandable, again, it's not very helpful. And it's not perhaps even very true. So if we can describe the actions instead, Parker hasn't finished their work. Parker told a lie to a friend. Parker is yelling during class. We can look at this situation more realistically and more fairly on behalf of the student. Okay. 
The interesting thing about doing this is sometimes just sitting down and listening to a colleague that can work wonders in terms of building the bridge and the situation here, it might resolve itself on its own. Checking in with this teacher, they might talk for a bit and then they might end up saying, um, yeah, so, you know, we tried it and it's not working and Parker's going to be back in music class next week. And that really changes the direction of, of the closing piece of this conversation. And even if that is not the end of this portion of the conversation today, we are set up very well to move forward with the next thing that I would suggest needs to happen here. So after we make sure that our teammate is heard, we're ready to move on to the next phase, which is recruiting cooperation. This is where we make sure that we have stated explicitly that we are approaching this conversation from the same side of the table. Because it's one thing for us <laughs> as the as the music teacher walking in, you know, we've done all of this work of empathy and understanding and imagining where they're coming, where that teacher's coming from. And, um, you know, all of these great ideals about you and me versus the problem not me versus you. But until we say that out loud, the teacher might not know that that is our perspective, right? And we can only be on the same team as someone who wants to be on the same team as us. So we need to make sure that we are very um, clearly stating our intention here so that that teacher doesn't feel attacked. Because when we feel attacked, we have to defend ourselves, right? And that's not what we're going for here. So recruiting cooperation here might sound like you know, you and I both want Parker to have a successful time at this school. And I want you to know, I view both of us as being on the same team here. Or I know that we both want Parker to do well. And I know right now it doesn't sound like that's happening. So I think it's going to take a village to support this kid. And I want to be on your team to help them. Something else, just as a quick aside here, when I am standing side by side with my colleague, that is a very different feeling than a hierarchy of teachers, where it's the grade level teachers and then the specialist teachers are underneath in that hierarchy. I am putting myself on equal footing with this colleague by putting us both on the same side of the table. Does that make sense? When I um, approach the conversation with the understanding that we are on the same team, you are, you are an equal teammate with me against this problem of whatever issue this student is dealing with. That goes a long way of creating some feelings of self-respect in this conversation. All right. So we have done this recruitment of cooperation, that we are on the same team, that we are on equal footing, um, that we are co-creating a solution to this. Now, we come to the ask here because up until this point, we have spent a lot of time talking about the classroom teacher's perspective and we've empathized with them and we've put ourselves in their shoes and we've talked about all of the times that we've inconvenienced them and we've listened to them, we've reflected their experience back and something is still missing. Yes, we still want Parker back in music class. <laughs> all of these steps were really important to lay the groundwork for this conversation. And at the same time, we do not want to hem and haw and dance around this issue and be passive. Being passive and not communicating directly, that is a pathway toward resentment. So after all of this really important work of listening with empathy and listening with understanding and listening with the expectation that we are on the same team, 
now we are bringing up our perspective. Bringing up our perspective might sound like, here's the thing. Right now, Parker is missing out on X music project that we're doing, and I'd really like them to be included. Is there a way we can make that happen? Or it could be even more simple than that. <laughs> it could be, I hear you. I'd really like Parker to be in music class with us. How can we make that work? And in answer to this original question, let's zoom back up to this original email. How do I approach the classroom teacher about this? The how is already spelled out beautifully. It's word for word in this email. Let's go back. Let's read it. I feel like those who have academic issues actually thrive in music. And I want to make that decision if they participate or not. There it is. We have the ask. We have the ask right there. How do we approach the teacher? It's, it's written out in the script already. So let's just plug it in. We have this, we have this, um, you know, understanding, listening time, reflecting the teacher's experience back to them. And then, uh, we talk about how we're on the same team and then I'm with you. I'd like Parker to be a music class. I think our students who have academic issues actually thrive in music. I'd also like the courtesy of deciding whether Parker can participate in my class or not. Can we think of another way to redirect Parker's behavior so they don't miss my class? There it is. Sometimes I wonder how to approach a conversation and I'm actually asking a mix of questions. How can I approach the conversation without feeling nervous? How can I approach the conversation without feeling angry? How can I approach this conversation without feeling uncomfortable? Or how can I approach the conversation so the other person is guaranteed to do what I want? And the reality is we might have this conversation while we feel angry or nervous or uncomfortable. And the reality of human behavior is that there is not a way to guarantee that we are going to get the outcome that we are looking for. We can speak honestly and we can speak respectfully. We can lead with empathy and we can lead by listening. All of those are things that we can do. There are many possible outcomes to this conversation, but importantly, this is not going to be the only difficult conversation that we have with colleagues about our program. And depending on how this talk goes, we might also end up having another conversation or multiple conversations with this colleague about Parker. And that's okay. Because today we have been talking about how to approach this first conversation. And I think we are set up to be in a very good spot. All right. I think this is a very important topic for us to talk about as music teachers because this is one of the realities of living in a world with other humans is that we're going to have to negotiate some of these decisions about redirecting student behavior and conversations about how the actions that take place inside a classroom environment actually have reverberations throughout the entire school culture, right? So when a teacher makes a classroom management decision, they need to know the impact that that has on the broader school community. In this case, in the music class, as they are pulling students from our classroom, or in this case, a student from our classroom. There are a few resources that I have found to be helpful with, um, with this topic. 
One of them is called Better Than Carrots or Sticks, Restorative Practices for Positive Classroom Management. And I've talked about this book before on episode 21 on classroom management. So I'll link that in the show notes. This gives some really helpful language around why punishments based in isolation. So taking the student away from the other um, members of the classroom why that can be harmful, and why a community of positive adults are necessary to reach students who are struggling. So I definitely recommend this book. It might be, um, again, helpful just to link some language with this conversation. Another book that is not about music at all is uh, Set Boundaries, Find Peace by Nedra Tawab. And you might be familiar with Nedra's work already. I think she's pretty well known um, in the field of education. And um, I know she definitely has a large following on Instagram um, and, and things like that. And because this is not a topic around music pedagogy, um, I definitely have leaned on things that I've learned from people like Nedra. So when I talk about approaching a conversation while feeling nervous or while feeling uncomfortable, that's something that I learned from her work. I definitely appreciate that about um, what she has to say around topics like this. So Set Boundaries, Find Peace is the name of her book. I also have leaned on the work of Dr. Becky Kennedy. When I talk about approaching this conversation from two people being on the same team, that is something that stuck out to me from a podcast episode by Dr. Becky. This is not an episode about colleagues talking to each other, um, but it is an approach that I have found to be very helpful. So I will link that podcast episode as well. And then episode 58 of this podcast was called Asking for Help, Talking to Parents, and Having Difficult Conversations. And that was a conversation I had with my friend Jessica Grant, who is um, very diplomatic and very level-headed about these types of things. So how do we approach difficult conversations with a colleague? We can remember that we are on the same team. And we are both looking for ways to reach a student who is having a hard time in class. For our part, before the conversation even starts, we can lead with empathy and imagination. And then when the conversation starts, we can kick it off actually by listening. And then when it's our time to talk, we can communicate directly and without apologizing, without being passive, without dancing around the issue, while still being respectful and centering the problem as the problem, not the teacher as the problem or the student as the problem. Jessica Grant, when we had that conversation in episode 58, she said, hard things are hard. <laughs> and I think that's a great phrase. But hopefully this gets us started on the very first steps that we might take to approach this conversation. 